0: They mess
1: you. Good afternoon, my name is Jean, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the HubSpot Q321 earnings conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, again, press star, then one. Thank you. Chuck McGlashing, Head of Investor Relations, you may begin your call.
0: Thanks, Operator. Good
2: afternoon, and welcome to HubSpot's third quarter 2021 earnings conference call. Today, we'll be discussing the results announced in the press release that was issued after the market closed. With me on the call this afternoon is Yamini Rangan, our Chief Executive Officer, Dharmesh Shah, our Co-Founder and CTO, and Kate Bucher, our Chief Financial Officer. Before we start, I'd like to draw your attention to the Safe Harbor Statement included in today's press release. During this call, we'll make statements related to our business that may be considered forward-looking within the meaning of Section 27A of the Securities Exchange Act of 1933 is amended, and Section 21E of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 is amended. All statements other than statements of historical fact are forward-looking statements, including those regarding management's expectations of future financial and operational performance, and operational expenditures, expected growth, the leadership transitions, and business outlook, including our financial guidance for the fourth fiscal quarter in full year 2021. Forward-looking statements reflect our views only as of today, and if, except as required by law, we undertake no obligation to update or revise these forward-looking statements. Please refer to the cautionary language in today's press release and our Form 10-Q, which will be filed with the SEC this afternoon for a discussion of the risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. During the course of today's call, we'll refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures as defined by Regulation G. The GAAP financial measure most directly comparable to each non-GAAP financial measure used or discussed and a reconciliation of the differences between such measures can be found within our third quarter 2021 earnings press release in the Investor Relations section of our website. Now, it's my pleasure to turn over the call to HubSpot's Chief Executive Officer, Yamini Rangan. Yamini?
3: Thanks, Chuck, and greetings, everyone. Thank you for joining us today as we review HubSpot's third quarter 2021 results. I hope you were all able to join us a few weeks ago for our annual Analyst Day at Inbound. We covered a lot of ground as part of those sessions. So today, what I want to do is to focus on the great results in Q3, as well as the strategic pillars guiding us on our path to becoming the number one CRM platform for scaling companies. Let's kick things off with a look at our Q3 results. We're continuing to see strong performance across the business with revenue growth of 47% in constant currency year over year and total customers growing 34% year over year to more than 128,000. As we've seen over the past year, small and medium businesses continue to embrace our modern CRM to connect with their customers drive insights from customer interactions, and transform their businesses for the digital age. Our strong results speak to the fact that HubSpot is providing the right foundation for these companies to scale. At our analyst day, I provided an overview of our long-term growth strategy and introduced the four strategic pillars guiding our investments. So today, I'd like to share how our recent product announcements at Inbound are helping us make meaningful progress towards a long-term goal. Our first strategic pillar is to deliver a world-class front office platform by investing in new and existing hubs, as well as driving the extensibility of our platform. We're always looking for ways to address the evolving needs of our customers and expand our addressable market. We'll continue to explore the development of new hubs invest in anchor hubs like marketing and sales, and accelerate innovation around emerging hubs like operations hub. Earlier this week, we officially launched operations hub enterprise. This is a great example of how we are accelerating innovation in emerging hubs. As you all know, we first launched operations hub starter and professional earlier this year to help customers get all of their data into HubSpot and build more advanced automated workflows. Now, with Operations Hub Enterprise, our customers are able to report on that data in more connected and consistent ways to generate insights to drive growth. We also announced important improvements to Service Hub, including custom surveys and a new customer portal that's currently in public beta. We'll continue to invest so that our individual hubs are powerful and easy to use. But we also know that much of HubSpot's magic comes from how our hubs seamlessly work together. And with more than half of our customers adopting multiple hubs, we know that more and more companies are realizing the unique advantage that comes from managing their entire front office in one platform. A great example of this multi-hub approach in action is Triage, a staffing agency that arranges assignments for traveling nurses across the US. After connecting its back office systems to our platform, and implementing our marketing, sales, CMS, and operations hub, Triage has seen increased efficiency and performance across the company. Their email click-through rate doubled, their sales team's capacity grew by 60%, and they're now able to quickly mobilize for flu or COVID vaccinations. There is still plenty of runway left when it comes to going broad and deep with our hubs and platforms. I'm really excited to see where the needs of our customers will take us next. Our second strategic pillar is to strengthen our segmentation approach across product and go-to-market. And this is driving product innovation at HubSpot in two key ways. First, we're bringing high-end features that have traditionally only been available to large enterprises down to our small and mid-market customers. And second, we're bringing a human-friendly product and purchasing experience traditionally seen in small and mid-market businesses up to large enterprises. At Inbound this year, we focused on the latter half of this strategy, announcing new, powerful, and easy-to-use features that add tremendous value to our enterprise tier. In addition to new platform-wide governance features, like permission sets and audit logging, We also launched Sandboxes, a feature that enables customers to test changes to their portal without impacting their primary account. In Marketing Hub Enterprise, we introduced Business Units, a new feature that enables customers to manage multiple brands to ensure a more consistent and targeted experience for their audiences. And new enterprise-level forecasting tools in Sales Hub and Service Hub help managers keep track of their team's progress towards their goals. All of these enhancements help our larger customers customize their usage of HubSpot without adding complexity as they continue to grow. We're seeing success in our segmentation approach. On the high end, we're consistently closing more large deals and have seen an 81% year-over-year increase in Q3 large deals. Our starter edition is also fueling customer acquisition. That segment has grown from a small percentage of our customer base a few years ago to more than 50% of our total customers as of Q3. Now let's turn to our third pillar, investing in commerce and payments. As I discussed during our analyst day, commerce has traditionally been thought of as an extension of the back office. It was sold to finance leaders, it was about collecting revenue and driving cost efficiencies. But commerce as a part of CRM is fundamentally different and it's about enabling growth, not saving money. We're excited about the long-term opportunity for an integrated payment solution. That said, we're still in very early stages of this opportunity and there are years of runway for growth. For now, we're focused on reaching US-based B2B companies with fewer than 100 employees so that we can deliver a strong product and market fit before expanding internationally. Having the product market fit in one geography ensures that we, when we go international, we're able to capture a significant portion of GMV of any country we enter. And while it's only been available for about a month, we've seen nice momentum with our open beta as customers tap into the ability to quickly and easily start taking payments. One early adopter is ZenPilot, an operations consulting business that needed to scale operations, but was being held back by a labor-intensive payment system. ZenPilot's previous system could only process credit card transactions and required manual work to process payments via ACH. With HubSpot payments, ZenPilot is able to accept ACH payments with ease. The sales team is able to focus more on lead generation activities and therefore have increased leads by 30%. The early feedback from customers like ZenPilot is evidence that we are on the right path in enabling our B2B customers to deliver a consumer-grade buying experience. I'm very excited about what the future holds for HubSpot payments in the long term. Our fourth and final pillar is to continue to scale HubSpot. As you've heard Brian and Darmesh say before, we wanna build a company that future generations can be proud of. As part of that vision, we're investing in hiring and growing diverse talent, working on our environmental initiatives, and doubling down on protecting our customers' data and scaling our systems to meet their needs. By investing in these four pillars, we're building a strong foundation that will serve both HubSpot and our customers as we chart our next phase of growth. I'm incredibly excited about our long-term opportunity, and I'm very confident that we have the right strategy, the right investments, and the right team in place to help us execute and win. With that, I'll turn it over to Kate to give an overview of our fantastic financial results. Kate?
4: Thanks, Shamini. Let's turn to our third quarter financial results and our guidance for the fourth quarter and full year of 2021. Third quarter revenue grew 47% year-over-year in constant currency and 49% as reported. Q3 subscription revenue grew 49% year-over-year, while services and other revenue increased 39%, both on an as-reported basis. The momentum we've seen over the last year and a half continued into the third quarter with broad strength across the business. We saw continued strength in revenue retention in Q3, trending nicely above our new target level of 110%, with healthy customer dollar retention continuing to be a big driver of our overall strong retention performance. Net revenue retention also continues to benefit from multiple upgrade drivers, including strong cross-sell activity and seed expansions. Domestic revenue grew 41% year-over-year in Q3, well, international revenue growth was 54% in constant currency and 58% as reported. While our international and domestic revenue growth rates in constant currency remain flat quarter over quarter, international revenue as a percentage of total revenue increased three points year over year to 46%. We added 7,100 net customers in the quarter growing our total customer count by 34% year over year to 128,000. Average subscription revenue per customer grew 9% year over year to $10,500, as we saw a continued positive mix shift towards our professional and enterprise tiers, along with strong install-based selling. As we've discussed over the last couple of quarters, we expect these trends to continue into Q4, with net customer additions of about 7,000 and high single-digit year-over-year growth in ASRPC. Deferred revenue, as of the end of September, was $376 million, a 45% increase year-over-year. Calculated billings was $353 million, growing 45% year-over-year in constant currency and 43% as reported. Billings growth in Q3 was impacted by the strong install based selling mix in the quarter, slightly lower billing duration, and a more difficult comparison as a result of COVID-related customer plays in the year-ago period. The remainder of my comments will refer to non-GAAP measures. Third quarter gross margin was 80%, down two points year-over-year as a result of increased customer usage and the launch of our new EU data center. Subscription gross margin was 83%, while services gross margin was negative 9%. Third quarter operating margin was 10%, up two points compared to the same period a year ago. At the end of the third quarter, we had nearly 5,500 employees, up 38% year-over-year. Net income in the third quarter was $26 million, or 50 cents per fully diluted share. CapEx, including capitalized software development cost, was $16 million or 5% of revenue in Q3. Free cash flow in the quarter was $38 million or 11% of revenue. We continue to expect CapEx as a percentage of revenue to be about 5% in 2021, and now expect free cash flow to be about $180 million for the full year. Finally, our cash and marketable securities totaled $1.3 billion at the end of September. And with that, let's dive into guidance for the fourth quarter and full year of 2021. For the fourth quarter, total revenue is expected to be in the range of 356 to $358 million, up 42% year-over-year at the midpoint. Non-GAAP operating income is expected to be between 34 and $36 million. Non GAAP diluted net income per share is expected to be between fifty-two and fifty-four cents. This assumes fifty point nine million fully diluted shares outstanding. And for the full year of twenty twenty one, total revenue is now expected to be in the range of one point two eight seven to one point two eight nine billion dollars, up forty six percent year over year at the midpoint. Non-GAAP operating income is now expected to be between $113 and $115 million. Non-GAAP diluted net income per share is now expected to be between $1.76 and $1.78. This assumes 50.7 million fully diluted shares outstanding. As you adjust your models, keep in mind the following. At current spot rates, we expect FX to be a slight headwind to as reported revenue in Q4 and still expect a three-point tailwind for the full year. And with that, I'll hand things back over to Yamini for her closing
3: remarks. Thanks a lot, Kate. Before we wrap up, I want to extend a huge thank you to our customers, partners, and employees for your support over the last quarter. It was such a joy to connect with you all during Inbound, and I have felt so welcomed and energized as I've transitioned into the CEO role. As you heard me talk about at Inbound, we're now in the age of the customer. Customers want and expect a frictionless connected consumer-like buying experience at every step of their journey. Fortunately, we've been building for this new era at HubSpot and are uniquely suited to meet the moment, as evidence in this quarter's strong financial results. Our most recent product announcements are designed to help companies create customer relationship magic, and our four strategic pillars will enable us to continue to deliver on our mission of helping millions of companies grow better in the future. And with that, operator, please open up the call for some questions.
1: At this time I would like to remind everyone in order to ask a question press star then the number 1 on your telephone keypad We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster Your first question comes from the line of Alex Zukin with Wolf Research Mr Zukin your line is open
0: Hey guys,
5: thanks so much and congratulations on a on a great quarter. Yeah yeah, I mean maybe the first one for you uh particularly on the demand environment. Can you talk about what you saw in the quarter, you know, did you see any seasonality, summer holiday uh you know weakness uh internationally? And then, you know, obviously in the news we're hearing, you know, we see headlines of of supply chain issues. You, know, you hear the reports of the, the advertising companies, you know, having a little bit of consternation. Are you seeing any impact from that at all and and any commentary on kind of the pipeline uh, for for either new customer growth or existing customer expansion to Q4?
3: Hey, Alex, thanks a lot for the question. Um, We are seeing the same headlines uh, that you mentioned in terms of supply chain challenges, macro environments, but I'll say that uh, there's not the set of factors that have outsized exposure to here at HubSpot. Uh, in terms of the demand environment and the demand patterns, it's really solid. And um, if I step back and look at why we feel very good about the demand environment, it's two things. One, uh, the world has changed. You know, since the start of the pandemic, customers have looked for digital solutions uh, and the buyer expectations have changed pretty significantly where they need uh, consumer-like buying experiences. They want to be able to connect to their customers digitally and they want to be able to grow and accelerate growth in this environment, Um, and two, we have the perfect solution for that. HubSpot has a very unique value proposition. We have crafted the solution and we provide consumer-like user experience with enterprise-grade features and that is resonating really well in terms of the market. So. I feel very good about the demand environment and what we're seeing in the pipeline. And this reflects both across our North America business as well as international business. So feeling pretty good.
5: Got it. And then uh, that's super helpful. And Kate, for you, I mean, I think, look, one of the questions I know I'm going to get tomorrow is for the last, I don't know, call it six quarters or so, Billings has been ahead of revenue growth in the quarter, even on an adjusted basis. Uh, from a constant currency perspective, this quarter you, you mentioned there were some headwinds on, uh, the, the billings that is important to take into account. So maybe can you just walk through them, particularly on the deferred side, uh, what you're seeing and why it's not necessarily indicative of, you know, I, I mean, it's usually not indicative, but in this case specifically, why it wouldn't be indicative, uh, of, of kind of the way to think about future revenue growth, because I think your guidance suggests, uh, again, also very strong growth uh for q4 subscription revenue
4: yeah sure thing um i would just start by saying that we actually feel really good about delivering constant currency billing growth in the mid-40s especially when you look at the sort of tougher comparison that we have here in q3 relative to q2 it's basically 12 or so points. Uh, more difficult. That said, I did mention a few things that were headwinds uh, to constant currency billings in the quarter. Uh, There's a little bit of a headwind from duration. And you may recall in my prepared remarks that I noted that this was a very strong install-based billing quarter that also has a little bit of a headwind uh, as it relates to billings. Particularly around deferred revenue, um, FX on deferred is very tricky. And you may recall in particular that the euro um, weakened against the dollar pretty dramatically over the course of Q3. And so the impact uh, on deferred revenue from FX was much more acute. Uh, There's about a four point headwind to deferred revenue uh, on a constant currency basis versus an as reported basis.
0: Got it. That's super helpful. Thank you guys. Congrats again. Operator. Your line is up on Mr. Morgan. Hey Mark, Mark, are you
6: there? Yes, yes, I'm here. Sorry, I, d- I never heard my name uh called,
7: uh so I don't know if okay. I was disconnected for a moment. But uh, that's matter, okay. So, uh,
8: Mr., Mr. Morgan.
7: <laughs> no worries. Yes, I'm flattered. flattered to be called Mr. Morgan. Um
8: so um
7: uh Yamini, at the at the analyst day, um you had you had mentioned the touchless sale and I think the fact that most B2B companies haven't uh, started on it yet. I'm wondering, how is that vision of the touchless sale uh, resonating with your customers uh, who are in this open beta of of HubSpot payments, and and, and what is their feedback to you so far?
3: Yeah, great great question, uh, Mark. So, you know, at the end of the day, what I said um, was that in terms of B2B, there are two ways that companies typically sell. One is the touchless sale, and then the other is the rep-assisted sale. Now, in terms of touchless sales, uh, B2B companies haven't just gotten started in terms of online processing of uh, services and software. And uh, our hypothesis is that we can really help them and enable new revenue streams for companies. Now, in the prepared remarks, I mentioned an example of a company then pilot. They are in the consulting business. They wanted to you know start processing, and that's an example of a touchless sale um, in terms of the open beta that's also where we're seeing interest marks. We're seeing you know companies that are in services that are um, thinking about new online revenue streams that haven't done it before, and this is an easy and seamless way for them to grow. Uh, It's pretty early days. uh, We've been in open beta just for a few weeks here now, but we're definitely seeing interest in terms of opening new revenue streams. Uh, So we'll keep watching.
7: Okay, understood. Um, And as a quick follow-up, Kate, we're we're noticing the, the, the growth is superb. Um, sequentially, the revenue growth is actually stronger than, than pre-pandemic, uh, in a Q3. So it's interesting to see the, the, the growth is stronger, um, without reliance up, upon a blowout number of, of customer ads. So I'm just curious, where are you seeing, uh, the, the ASP increase most noticeably? I, you know, part of what I'm wondering is, is custom objects, uh, unlocking some of the larger accounts? Uh, you know, at the top of your target range with the with the enterprise hubs of of, of sales and marketing, or is it more across the board, or even more uh, kind of down market?
4: Yeah, thanks for the question. I think you know the the good news is that our KPIs of customer additions and ASRPC kind of came in exactly where we told you that they were going to. Um, we did see that nice pickup in ASRPC, uh, really in that high single-digit range, and. Again, that positive momentum in ASRPC is is a mix-driven um, uh, calculation. The the customer mix is moving toward that pro and enterprise. Um, and we've, you know, again, I'll have the strong install-based selling commentary for Q3. And both of those things are, like, key drivers of ASRPC growth.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, and congrats on a great result.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Samad Samana with Jeffries. Your line is open.
9: Hi, good evening, and I'll echo the congrats uh, on just a, a great quarter even as the, the comps get tougher. So maybe first, Yamini, for you, uh, I, I have a follow-up on the payment side. You know, can you talk about the front office CRM approach HubSpot is taking to payments and the advantages that HubSpot has over other more entrenched back office-centric competitors that are more closely tied to accounting systems?
3: Uh, thank you, Samad. That's uh, that's really like my favorite question about payment, because the way we think about payment, commerce is part of, uh, you know, CRM is fundamentally different. It is about enabling revenue growth for our customers, and it's very, very different from commerce as part of back office, where, you know, traditionally it is about uh, talking to the finance leader and focusing on collecting revenues and cost efficiencies. And over the past few quarters, as we have gone back to our customers and asked them how we can enable growth, it became really clear that we needed to embed commerce and payments as part of CRM. Uh, And there are three ways in which we can drive that growth. The first one is what I just talked about um, with Mark's question, which is enabling new revenue streams. So if you think about touchless, this is not where... B2B companies have traditionally focused, and so we want to enable new revenue streams and provide opportunities for growth there. And the second area for growth is really helping with the rep-assisted last-mile sales. So what I mean by that is, you know, HubSpot, historically, we have focused on rep-assisted sales, but the last mile, which is quote-to-cash, has been the hardest nut to crack, and we want to focus on that. We want to streamline, simplify it, so that the reps can now focus on growth initiatives, on demand generation activities. And so, we do that right, we're going to actually enable growth for our customers. And then the third thing which I'm super excited about is commerce brings context to every customer interaction. Uh, If you can imagine having a, a commerce object deeply embedded within CRM, You now have more information when you run marketing campaigns. You can run marketing campaigns on abandoned carts. You have much more information in terms of sales interactions because you know where the invoice stands. You have much better service interactions because it's prioritized by the purchase history. So commerce, deeply embedded in CRM, is just um, really valuable in terms of enabling growth. And so I think we're taking a very – different approach and enabling growth for our customers, um, so I'm excited about the longer term opportunity here.
9: Very helpful. And then maybe a follow-up for, for Kate, and Kate, the, the 47% growth uh, on constant currency staying the same quarter over quarter despite a tougher comp was, was impressive and you know, I think one of the things related to that is the, the stat around an 81% increase in large deals. Um, in the third quarter, you know, I haven't really heard the company talk about large deals, more just, you know, which skew is being adopted. So I'm curious to can maybe just help us understand how we should think about large deals and, and how you're defining it and then maybe just how should we think about that going forward from a contribution standpoint?
4: Yeah, I, I think I talked a little bit about this at the Analyst Day when we tried to highlight the uh, strategic pillar around segmentation internally we look at um, what we call large fields as anything that is greater than 3k uh, MRR and we've seen that the volume of those fields increase 81 percent year over year
0: okay okay great thanks again for taking my questions thanks a so
1: Your next question comes from the line of Ken Wong with Guggenheim Securities. Your line is open
5: great thank, thank you for take, taking my question uh, uh, first question I just wanted to get a sense for you know I, I think earlier I've mentioned you know some of the advertising uh, peers out there are running into kind of the occasional issues with IDSA how do you see that potentially impacting HubSpot's business does that push customers more towards an inbound strategy. We'd love to see if you guys are uh, running in any tailwinds, headwinds on that front.
10: Uh, thanks for the, for the question, Ken. So just uh, taking a step back, you know, the, the reason we get into trouble sometimes in our personal lives uh, and get sent to the doghouse is when we, when we forget things like an anniversary or birthday. The reason we get sent into the doghouse in a kind of privacy-centric world is when we remember and know too much. And that's, I think, what's caused some of the recent uh, developments here. Now, having said that, HubSpot's genesis from the beginning, as as you noted, has been around this idea of inbound marketing, which is a very kind of consumer-friendly, privacy-forward approach, and we've kind of stuck to that um, for all 15 of our years. So, as developments have happened in the industry um, that are kind of moving privacy forward, um, they've been neutral to positive to HubSpot, and some of the recent developments I don't think are any different, Um, specifically on some of the app tracking stuff that's happened recently, um, the companies most impact are the ones that if you're running a, a massive advertiser network or you're running a massive mobile application for which tracking is super important, um, you're going to feel you know, the direct impact of some of these recent uh, recent changes. HubSpot doesn't fall into either of those categories. So we don't really expect any meaningful uh, impact on our business at all as a result of some of the interesting uh, developments that are
5: happening. Got it. Got it. I really, uh, really appreciate that, Darnesh. Uh, and then, Kate, just, just thinking about the shape of the quarter, I think in the past you guys had mentioned that uh, I think in July hub spotters were given a given a break uh, also potentially saw higher than typical p t o any sense of kind of how the kind of the linearity played out from from July through September and to the extent that you can comment uh, on on october November kind of how how that d- the demand you know life cycle looked yeah I mean I think i will stick to q three
4: um but you're exactly right and have a great memory um so we uh, made a decision to give the organization a break uh, at the very beginning of the quarter, and we had a global week of rest for all of our employees. And that obviously um, creates a bit of a slow start to the quarter. Uh, we feel great about where we landed for the full quarter, but we um, definitely saw momentum in the second couple of months as a result of that. Uh, I would say, well-deserved break uh, on behalf of our employees.
0: Got it. Perfect. Uh, thank, thank you so much. Your next question comes from the line
1: of Stan Slotsky with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open.
11: Perfect. Um, thank you so much, guys. Um wanted to uh, touch on, um, on, on the payments business uh, a little bit. I'm sure you're getting a lot of questions from investors on that one. Um, how are you thinking as far as like disclosing the traction that you're seeing with, um, in that business um, as it starts to ramp? Um, you know, what are the milestones that we should be looking for and you'll be looking for as far as you know, really just broadening out the the initial uh, set of customers that are involved in the in the beta program? Sam, thanks for
3: the question. I'm gonna maybe address this from uh, uh, broad strategic perspective, and then I'll have Kate address it in terms of how we'll be uh, tracking it. Uh, you know, as you heard us talk about at the analyst day, this is a long-term opportunity that we are very, very excited about. And specifically, we have a targeted approach. Uh, the target market that we're going after U.S. companies. Uh, with uh, 100 employees or less that are B2B, mostly focused on services and software. The reason we are focused on that market is first, it allows us to build a delightful product experience that customers can love. And um, even within that market, we see it as a pretty large market, tens of billions in GMV within that segment. And uh, we wanna start with that market and we're gonna make sure that uh, in terms of both the payment features as well as commerce features, we are focused delivering and driving market adoption. And I think uh, longer term, there is a significant opportunity for us to grow both up market uh, domestically as well as international. And I'll pass it to Kate so she can address your question on how we will track and uh, share the results. Yeah,
4: thanks, Emily. Um so if I just take a step back and look at the specific customer segment that Yamini is outlining the U.S.-based customers with 100 or less employees in that sort of B2B software and services space, you know, Yami said we think that's a tens of billions of dollars of GMV uh, market for us, and that would translate into something that looks more like hundreds of millions of potential payment volume for us over the next couple of years. Um, and, you know, as I I covered up the analyst day, HubSpot's going to earn a transaction fee uh, on this payment volume. And the amount of that transaction fee is going to depend on the payment method, it's going to depend on the transaction size, and we will recognize that fee as revenue to HubSpot. Uh, there'll be, you know, an associated cost um, with that transaction, most notably for credit card transaction, that's it, that interchange fee. And so the gross margin for the payments business is going to be a much different and lower gross margin than what we are used to on the software side. Um, that said, the sales expense in growing the business is also going to be very different than the core software business. And we feel really good about the overall margin for HubSpot uh, over time uh, with respect to payments. Um, we will likely um in the near term record any uh revenue under that uh what we call services and other uh revenue stream um and as we you know ramp up over time we will have to evaluate um when it is the appropriate time to break that revenue out
0: got it got it um and then um
11: Kay, just uh why don't to go back to uh billing for a quick second i mean i, I think um, you did a great job of um, outlining the the uh, FX um, material FX headwind to billings at the end of the quarter versus the the FX tailwind that we actually saw in revenue. Uh, but just on the on the duration component of billings, uh, you know, if you were to kind of just uh, put together the, uh, the, the, the the overall kind of headwinds that you saw in the quarter to billings between FX and duration, which one was the was the more material one and uh, you know, kind of maybe give us a little bit of a magnitude of what the billings duration um, headwind may have been as well.
4: Yeah. Um, so the FX the FX headwind to billings overall was net was two percent headwind, right? And that's a combination, as you as you were indicating, of a tailwind to revenue with a more extreme headwind to the deferred revenue component of billings. Um, in terms of the relative impact of duration versus, um, versus FX, I think it's, it's a combination of duration and the fact that we, that we have a, a higher mix of install-based selling that sort of make up the other part of the difference between constant
0: currency revenue and constant currency billing. Got it. Got it. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Congratulations on a good quarter. Your next question comes from the line
1: of Brad Sills with Bank of America Securities. Your line is open.
8: Oh, great. Thanks, guys, for taking my question. Congratulations on a nice quarter. Uh, maybe I'll ask another the, the question on the uh, ASP uh, a question another way. Um, with, with the kind of growth you're seeing there, net revenue retention has been accelerating now for several quarters. Um, are customers landing with multiple hubs more so than in the past? I think historically we think of HubSpot where customers will start with marketing or sales or CMS, those are great entry points, and then you'll see the cross-sell a year or two later. Now that you've kind of been moving up marketing as more enterprise additions, are you seeing customers commit to multi-hubs, kind of an initial land deal more, more so, and what does that mean for kind of future uh, expansion opportunity potentially?
3: Uh, Brad, thanks for the question. I'd say that uh, we see three things that happen across our customer base. Uh, the first is what you said, which is more multi-hub. And uh, you can see that reflected in the numbers that Kate shared at the analyst day. And so we definitely see the multi-hub customers land. Um, we're seeing still, you know, really good front doors with marketing, sales hub. Each of those hubs have gotten really good over the past 12 to 18 months. And so they are very good front doors. And so we see that land and expand motion. And then, um, as you know, we uh, launched the CRM suite both at the starter level as well as the GO level. And those are also really good front doors. And so uh, across the board, we are seeing all three motions. Now, I will say, in terms of multi-hub, um, when our customers adopt multi hub the value that they get because it's a seamless user interface uh because it's a single data model because there is a single view of the customer is just much higher um we see when customers adopt sales hub plus marketing hub they get much more leads than when they just had marketing hub or sales hub alone the same powerful combination with marketing hub and cms hub uh or hub and service hub and so i think what you're seeing is that there are great front doors into adoption there is also a growing trend towards multi-hub as well as suite adoption the combination of all three are kind of what you see as results in terms of asrcc growth
8: great to hear thanks yamini so much and then then one on the service hub if i may Um, you know there's, there's kind of the view that Service, customer service is more of an upmarket type solution. Small business don't necessarily run a separate support desk. It can, a lot of it can be done within sales. As you guys, well, one, do you agree with that view? And then two, as you guys are moving into this kind of upmarket business, more enterprise focused, could we expect perhaps an acceleration? Uh, for, we've already seen good, strong results out of Service Hub, but potentially even greater uh, attached there. Thank you. Yeah, so
10: it's um, in terms of service Hub adoption or interest on on the lower end, we don't think it's relegated just to larger enterprises. We think an increasing number of customers want to provide online support, even if it's not a call center, it might be over email or over chat. Um, So that is definitely a need. In terms of Service Hub, the product is doing really well and the path that we're kind of progressing is similar to what you saw with um, Sales Hub over the last several years, which there are some key features um, that folks were looking for in in Sales Hub, for instance, uh, Custom Objects was one of them. And once we start knocking those dominoes over, we see the adoption rate go up. Um, and then we see that hub becoming uh, uh, on-ramp and, and front-door to the HubSpot platform. We think something similar will happen with Service Hub. Uh, we just recently launched a, a recent inbound, this, uh, the feature of a customer portal where customers can log in and see their tickets and interact with their data and with their account. Uh, that was one of those big dominoes in our minds that the customers have been kind of asking for repeatedly, and it puts us further down the path um, where we need to be. So, we think 2022 is going to be an exciting year for Service Hub. The market opportunity is massive across our spectrum of uh, one to 2,000 employee customers, um, and we're, we sort of know what the customer needs are, and we're uh, just looking to
0: execute. Great to hear. Thanks, Sarmash. Your next question comes from the line of Brian
1: Peterson with Raymond James. Your line is open.
6: Uh, Hi, thanks for taking the question. I I actually wanted to follow up, uh, Yamini, to to your answer to Brad's question. And I'd be curious, uh, to what extent customers are are really kind of understanding of of what this new frontier is going to look like for digital engagement models? And and I say that because are are they still at the point, or I guess are they at the point now where they're willing to kind of buy not even just one or two, but three or four hubs at once, right? Or, Or are they seeing that digitally across all hubs or all channels? Or is it, do they have the vision or are they still going to have to kind of pick one at a time just given maybe their limited ability to execute? I'm curious what you're hearing from customers in regards to this new frontier in terms of digital engagement.
3: It's a good question, Brian. I think it's across the board. The levels of maturity within our customer base are quite different. Uh, so you have – Some customers that are pretty early and uh, this, you know, they've realized in the past couple of years, you know, that they need to be digital first, digital ready, and they are uh, kind of putting their toe and starting with one hub and then expanding. And then there are customers like the use case example that I gave in the prepared remarks of triage where they realize that they need a complete digital front office platform that is all in one in order for them to be able to accelerate their growth uh, given all of um, what they're seeing and so it really depends on the maturity of the customers and you know the one thing that i would say is that um our approach has been resonating really well with customers we've taken a very very different approach to building handcrafting our solutions and it's unique Um, so customers don't have to cobble together a bunch of different applications within their tech stack they can start with one or multi-hub or go all in but the crafted way in which we approach building products and therefore the value that our customers see in our full suite is really resonating within the market
6: great no that that's good to hear maybe a quick follow-up for kate um, you know, one of the bullish takeaways for me in the analyst day analyst was the net revenue retention, you know, above 110. I, I believe you indicated it that would kind of be the new normal going forward. I, I think I have that right. But, um, you know, I'm curious, you know, how can we frame that in terms of the average revenue per customer trend? I, I know it's not the same cohort overall, um, but, but should we think about that maybe lagging the 110 figure by a couple points? I'm just curious if there's any read-through from the NRR that we should be looking at in terms of the, the revenue per customer growth. Thank you.
4: Yeah. um, No, thanks for the question. I think that you you are right. Um, At Analyst Day, uh, we uh, shared a new target uh, level for net revenue retention at or above 110%. And what we talked about was a couple of different drivers. Um, The first of those drivers was really strong customer dollar retention. That's what we call it internally. may refer to it as gross retention. And what we said is about half of the impact on total net revenue retention was associated with improvements on customer dollar retention. The other piece of that is uh, that our upgrades are improving and we have a diverse set of upgrade drivers that are helping to increase net revenue retention that sort of second half. Those drivers will also help drive ASRPC growth. Right, so it's not that retention—you know—that retention is driving. It's the same core adoption of a greater portion of the platform that is driving both the net revenue retention and higher ASRPC. Great,
0: thank you.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Michael Turtz with KeyBank Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hey guys, thank you very much. I'm- So two questions, how many for you? Obviously everyone's very excited about payments. Can can you talk about how you're thinking longer term about um, e-commerce more broadly? And then I'll go up that one for Kay. Uh,
3: you know, I, I think like, yes, we are excited about payments, but we're equally excited about the core business. I will say that, uh, in terms of the longer term payments opportunity um if, if we really step back, there is just a lot that we can do to help our customers grow and the way we are going to focus on this, and we've said this in a couple of different ways is that first off, from a payments perspective, we're going to just embed this in you know almost every way embedded payments, which as the name you know suggests is embedding it in forms in web pages uh, in meeting requests, and really that will help us drive adoption and so from a roadmap, you will see us drive uh, payments adoption. I think the second part of what I'm excited about in the roadmap is um, building the commerce context into CRM and vice versa. That's where we see um, by making sure that the commerce, you know, context is there in every interaction, whether it's marketing or sales or service, and both of those are going to open up a huge opportunity for us. how we think about the roadmap and longer term opportunity in terms of payment. But I also point that, um, as we've talked about, the core business is really strong and the core business is growing really well, uh, strategic pillars, and focused on driving a world-class CRM platform. So it's kind of balanced across new opportunities as well as core business.
1: Thanks. And, and then, Kate, you, you said that, can you just talk about what some of the, the, the puts and takes are there and how they may or may not be shifting in terms of what, what's the headwind and what's the tailwind and margins and how that balances out next year?
4: Yeah. I guess, you know, the way that I would think about it is, and, and we tried to talk a bit about this, uh, the analyst day was how we balance growth and profitability. Um, and, you know, overall, if you just, sort of at the highest level think about it. What we have been trying to do and what we continue to try to do is focus on building really durable long-term growth for the company. Uh, And we will clearly look for ways on a regular basis to expand margins. And we leverage our long-term financial framework uh, to try to to do that. Um, What we don't wanna do is is forego really high conviction, really high return opportunities to drive, uh, uh, to drive future growth um, so that we can deliver very specific leverage targets from one year to the next. And so, you, know, you, hear, you heard us talk about the analyst say, you hear Yavani talk about it. Now we feel really good about the opportunity in front of us and we wanna make sure that we continue to invest into that opportunity. And so the areas where you're gonna see us invest in 2022 are gonna be the same areas where you've been seeing us invest over the last couple of years. In particular, we wanna make sure that we are leaning into our R&D organization to drive innovation because we think that's the engine for strong and durable growth. So I don't have specific puts and takes in 2022, what I would tell you is we're going to continue to invest in the places where we have been seeing strong ROI and we can believe that we can continue to see strong ROI. And that's primarily in innovation in the product.
0: Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Emily. Your next question comes from the line
1: of Michael Turn with Wells Fargo. Your line is open.
10: Hi. This is Michael Burgon from Michael Turn. So um, that a great quarter. Uh, I have a quick question and then a follow-up for Darbash. Um, in this environment, in this environment we're seeing right now, uh, it appears to be a pretty strong or difficult hiring environment. And with HubSpot being such a focus on culture and um, retention, can you kind of walk through what you're seeing in the hiring environment? Any trouble getting people on board? Any better or worse uh, retention within your employee base? Uh, Thanks for your question. So it's, um, we're really pleased with the kind of long-term investments we've made in culture and employer brand that has really paid off now in these uh, tough times. We haven't seen uh, direct impacts of the uh, so-called kind of great resignation, but we know uh, that there's some kind of activity going out there in in the world at large. But uh, we continue to have a very strong uh, employer brand. We leaned in even pre-pandemic into this notion of a hybrid and remote workforce, um, which we're Uh, even better at now. So, uh, personally, I feel we're coming from a position of strength even more so than we were before. Um, I think the value of our culture, the value of the flexibility uh, we have in our workforce is is appreciated. Um, You know, we've long said that we think of culture as the second product that we build, and that product, including our main product, is actually doing very well. So, thanks for the question.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Parker Lane with people. Your line is open.
11: Yeah, hi, thanks for taking my question. At uh, the end of the day, you mentioned about 60% of the business is coming direct versus the remainder coming from uh, solution partners. wondering if you could break down what the composition of that looks like in the enterprise customer tier, particularly with
6: some of the go-to-market investments you've made there over the past year.
3: So, Parker, thanks a lot for the question. Uh, broadly speaking, that's right. I think, uh, but if you kind of break it down between our segments, uh, partners focus much more on upmarket for all the obvious reasons. Uh, more custom, uh, more integrations, more CRM implementations, more customizations. And so it's uh, weighted a little bit higher towards the upmarket segment. Um, And, you know, look, our our strategy has been very, very clear in terms of working with our solution partner ecosystem. If you historically look at the solution partner ecosystem, it's about 4,000 strong. uh, They were marketing agencies, but we have done a lot of investments to diversify that solution partner ecosystem. And we're very pleased with the level of expertise in helping our upmarket customers. Uh, it's one of those uh, competitive modes for us. They uh, do a fantastic job of understanding our customers as well as our products. And uh, when partners get engaged, we see high customer dollar retention as well as revenue retention. And we understand that. We had an event right after inbound uh, for partners where we talked about the our strategy and doubling down in our strategy of selling and servicing with them, and we're making pretty uh, hefty investments in enabling partners, uh, matching partners with customers, and building expertise within the solution partner base. And so uh, we're excited to see that ecosystem thrive.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Rishi Jaluria with RBC Markets. Your line is open.
7: Hey, guys, thanks so much for, for taking my question. Uh, just one for my end. I, I wanted to drill back onto some of the upmarket penetration. Yamine, I think that uh, 81% increase in large deals year-over-year uh, year in Q3, really, really impressive and, and great to see that. Um, maybe can you help us understand, with, with this upmarket penetration, how you're kind of balancing the investments that you're making there with wanting to keep that same, uh, you know, e-commerce-type approach and self-service approach that has uh, uh, worked, for you historically and and, and maybe directionally, can you give us a sense for, you know, with these larger customers, what sort of impact that tends to have on your net dollar retention? Thank you so much.
3: Rishi, thanks for the question. Uh, I think this really goes back to our strategic pillar, which is strengthening our segmentation approach. So both at the end, let's say, as well as prepared remarks, we talked about the investments we are making, to make sure that uh, every one of our segments are optimized. We have broadly three segments. You've heard us speak about this uh, one to 20 segment where we are investing in product led growth, the 20 to 200 segment, which is our traditional sweet spot from both a product and go to market perspective, and the upmarket segment, which is the 200 to 2000 segment. Uh, where you know we are we're making a lot of investments, and as uh, we've mentioned before, we're being very thoughtful and deliberate in making product as well as go-to-market investments. Um, our clear view is that both of these need to be in complete lockstep in terms of execution. So um, the success that you're seeing with an up market is one because of the product. Um, we have worked on the product extensively and. We've talked about wanting to maintain a consumer-grade look and feel while investing in powerful features, and that is beginning to work. And in terms of go-to-market, we have invested in sales enablement, partner enablement, as well as brand marketing effort. And so uh, the result of our segmentation strategy is what is reflected both in terms of customer dollar retention as well as revenue retention. Uh, and this is kind of what Kate mentioned earlier in her comments about revenue retention.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Ryan McDonald with Needham and Company. Your line is open.
9: Hi, thanks for taking my question. You know,
7: Yamini, in the last, uh, I guess, two questions, you've talked about sort of the upmarket motion here, and, and I wanted to focus in on the partner channel uh, and how that's driving upmarket deals. And, you know, you, uh, you announced uh, the, the launch of Operations Hub. It's only been a, a whole two days since it's officially launched. But just curious, since the announcement of Inbound, you know what sort of feedback you've gotten from the partner channel on that offering and and how you think that can continue to maybe unlock the higher end or the upper market segment uh, of your business over time
3: thank you so much ryan for the question uh yes the operations hub enterprise was just launched you know uh, this week and as you all know we launched operations hub starter as well as pro earlier this year in april and, uh, you know, that's actually an example of one of the hubs where we co-launched it with partners. Um, you know, our partner community has been just incredibly involved in terms of the beta program. They were incredibly involved in terms of identifying early use cases. And we co-launched Operations Hub. In fact, uh, that launch event was probably the highest NPS partner event that we have had all year. And the feedback from partners, um, you know, in terms of operations hub has been very, very, um, you know, promising as well as positive. Now, the broader point in terms of how we are enabling go to market with partners up market, you know, as we optimize our product investments as well as go to market investments, we've been working hand in hand with partners uh, in driving expertise within the partner ecosystem to enable them to take more complex implementations and that's beginning to work. Uh, And I am very pleased with how our direct teams as well as the partner teams have been working collaboratively this year.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Arjun Bhatia with William Blair. Your line is open.
6: Yes. Um, thank you for taking my question, um, Kate. Maybe maybe one for you. It seems like a lot of the trends that we've talked we've been talking about with ACV expansion, including you know multi hub uh, adoption, upsell, suite adoption. Th- those are those don't necessarily seem like temporary trends. So when we look out maybe beyond Q4, should we think of the model as having structurally shifted where ACV growth can remain in that? mid-high single-digit range, not just in Q4, but in 2022 and and beyond as well?
4: Yeah. Thanks for the question. I think what we have shared, Arjun, is that we feel like the trends that we saw in Q2 and in Q3 are going to continue into Q4. Um, In terms of longer term. You know, these are not metrics that we manage the business against. And you know you heard Yamni talk about the segmentation strategy where we intend to innovate um, both at that up market but also at the you know velocity with the velocity segment that is is more lower end. And as we innovate at one end or another you're going to continue to see movement in both of those kpis so i think it's fair to say that in the short term but over the longer term we're going to continue to see uh, a little bit more volatility
1: your next question comes from the line of kirk matern with evercore your line is open oh yeah thanks very much
7: i was wondering if you just talk about whether any of the trends that you're seeing in the upper part of your business, upper upper mark, market part of your business, are, are different if you looked at the U.S. versus maybe internationally. I'm just kind of curious if uptake of service cloud, um, content management, are, are are those products being taken up internationally at the same rate in the U.S. or is it similar to what we've seen in other SaaS uh, companies where you know international tends to follow the U.S. I know you all are much more balanced, so I was just curious on that. Thanks.
3: So we've been very, very balanced in terms of both international growth as well as North America growth. And as you uh, heard us talk about, international is about 46 percent of our revenue and consistently growing um, really well. In terms of adoption trends, it's quite similar. Um, in in a lot of you know the uh, international markets, they are still a bit earlier in terms of digital transformation and adoption of. Uh, digital products but you know overall um, for example operations hub has done really well there and going multi-hub with CMS and marketing has done quite well there and so the trends are pretty consistent across both of the markets
0: your next
1: one question comes from the line of CT Panagrahi with Mizuho your line is open
6: Hey, guys, this is actually Matt Diamond on City's behalf. One quick one. I'm curious about the magnitude of customer engagement that came after the inbound conference. If you could compare that to years past, that'd be super
0: helpful.
3: Uh, That's a good question. Uh, You know, overall inbound the the product announcements very, very favorable. Positive feedback from customers. Um, We had really good engagement both uh, uh, in terms of you know uh, the breakouts as well as the spotlight sessions and uh, the NPS for some of the sessions were better than even last year. So overall. Uh, Inbound landed really well. The engagement of our customers has been really good. And the feedback in terms of the announcements there, Operations sub Enterprise, Sandbox, Business Units, the feedback for a lot of those features that we announced at Inbound has been very, very positive. It's uh, still early days. It's just been a couple of weeks since Inbound. And so uh, we'll likely see more momentum in Q4 based on the announcements at Inbound.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Robert D. with Truist. Your line is open.
8: Hey, guys. This is actually Joe Mears on for Terry Tillman. Um, We talked a lot about the product announcements, I think,
7: uh, on the call, but I'm just wondering from a very high level um, of the three major announcements
0: that you guys made, which have customers made the most noise about in the last three weeks since the, uh, the analyst day?
3: That's a, that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, I broadly categorize, you know, our product announcements in three areas. Uh, the first one is Operations Hub Enterprise that we just, you know, launched in November. Um, really positive feedback. We've seen very good momentum, not just for the enterprise product, but also for the pro as well as starter releases earlier this year. So we're seeing consistent uh, good feedback there. I think the second class is just, a lot of the upmarket related you know, uh, big powerhouse features that we launched, right? So you heard us talk about business units, which uh, again is another domino feature uh, within Marketing Hub Enterprise. You heard us talk about sandboxes and forecasting, which is pretty big in terms of sales. So a lot of uh, customers that have been looking or will need this in the future are excited about that category of features. And then payments, um, you know, payments is early days, but a lot of uh, customers are engaged uh, in conversations in terms of how they can create new revenue streams and uh, as well as, you know, enable consumer-like buying experiences. And so those three, I would say, are probably the big categories of interactions with customers.
0: There are no further questions at this time.
1: Yamini Rangan, I turn the call back over to you. Thank you so much. It was
3: great seeing a lot of you at InBound. Uh, Be well and do great work in Q4. We'll see you in the new year.
0: This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.